It's the TEH podcast episode number 196. I'm Leo Notenboom of askleo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of macmost.com. Well, first of all, thank you for having us over um, at your house, Gary. It was really, really nice to uh, to finally see the place, to see you again after all this time. Um, it was it was a nice visit to Denver. Yeah, thanks for coming. It was it was a great uh few days while you were here to see you and some other friends and yep uh yeah um just it was yeah it was great it was yep very it, very nice it had been days. too long since we all got together and uh, honestly it'd been too long since i'd been to denver it's been a while yeah, yeah. so last week we talked about reddit mm-hmm. uh, you brought up reddit and the fact that um, there was all this controversy over the uh uh, the plans that they had to add or increase, I'm not, I know, add a charge to the API for third party applications. And the charge turns out to be, you know, the math just doesn't work out for most of these applications. And I think um, if this continues, one of them at least has already announced that it's shutting down at the end of the month. And it's pretty likely that a bunch of the other ones will as well. Mm-hmm. So um, there's, it's interesting. There's one thing we didn't talk about that I heard somebody else mention that um, kind of was a forehead slap for me, to be honest. I'm not sure that this is the cause, but it might very well have been the tipping point. And that is the fact that um, large language models like chat GPT, often referred to as AI, have been essentially slurping up content off the web. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that they're doing it via the API. My guess is they probably are. They probably get better structured data if they do that. But the bottom line is that, um, you know, they're, they're basically scraping all this information and using that to train their large language models and then provide the answers or the comments or the text or the whatever that people are asking chat GPT for. And to be clear, it's more than just chat GPT. We're talking about chat GPT, whatever Bing is doing, whatever Bard is doing, whatever you know, fill in the blank is doing because there seems to be a plethora of these things right now. So the the question is, yes, I understand what Reddit kind of wants to do. Um, I think you pointed out that, you know, third-party apps aren't showing ads, which is fine. I, I get that. That's, that's an issue. Um, but even for things like ChatGPT, there it's just not part of the model right i mean there is no no interface for chat gpt to say oh this you know this content was brought to you in part by reddit um so i'm just wondering how big a piece of the problem uh large language models really turned out to be like i said my suspicion is that it was the tipping point um that this is probably something they've been struggling with for a while um, but that uh, the the uh, the way that Chat GPT and friends have been uh, just going wild of late, uh, I just have to wonder if if it's the like I said, it's the it's the thing that the the straw that broke the Reddit camel's back. What do you think? Well, I think it's definitely one of the one of the good theories. Uh, you know the the problem with the whole question of why Reddit needs to do this. Right. Because it certainly seems like it's very important to them. They're not backing down at all. Right. So they they need to charge for these APIs. And, you know, it, it is what is the what's the reason here? And it it's you know, they say it's cost. And I'm sure that is the foundation of it. Right. It cost, mm-hmm. Every time a server is you know called on 
mm-hmm. the internet, whether it's a web page or an API call, you know, it's it's using a resource. Yep. And Reddit's got limited resources. The servers cost. I don't know if they have their own servers or it's they they use a you know another company for their servers or it's a combination. Doesn't matter. It still costs. Either they pay for it directly or they're paying somebody else for it. Um, so the question is, uh, why, you know, why do they, why does it cost so much that they need to charge the API developers, and why can't they come up with some other solution? I mentioned last week the idea being that why can't it be like an API call where okay, you sign up for the for whatever the app is, and then you have to use your own API key to actually you know have all of your calls, what you're using the app for, charged to you. Which usually, when you do that with uh, an API, th- that means you as an individual user just doing your thing, you fall under the threshold of it's free, right? You're not doing the big, like large language models, you know, billions right. of calls, right? You're doing <laughs> right, your right. thousands of calls, you know, to just look around Reddit or whatever. Um, so the question is that why didn't they go with something like that? Or why hasn't somebody suggested something? Because you could simplify that and you could, everybody on that app, uh, the Apollo app, which is the main one that's getting the attention, though there are right. others. Bunch of uh, others, yeah. Everyone on the Apollo app is signed in with their Reddit account. So, so... technically, you could go, well, no, okay, not every, yes, you can, I guess, use Apollo without being signed in, I guess. I mean, you can use Reddit. You can certainly I, use Reddit without being signed in. But, right. the, but you could, you're probably going to be signed in because you want to do your thing and have your right. stuff. Your favorite, and, your and, they, yep. and they could also say you have to be signed in, right? Okay, that's just a new thing. And most of the people complaining now would not complain at all. If it's like, oh, new requirement, you have to be signed in. I was already signed in. Um, but the, they could simplify it so that, okay, if you're signed in and you're using Apollo or one of these apps, then you're going to get kind of charged for the API calls. And as long as you're under this threshold, it's free. And if you go over the threshold, which maybe no individual user could, uh, then they, they hit you. But so why was that never suggested? And I, I have a theory. I, well, I have a theory. It's one you just mentioned was the ads. Um, you know, the what are the ads for? The ads are for about for generating revenue. So right. if you can replace that revenue with something else, um, then that shouldn't be an issue. I think the real issue that that potentially provides this is this concept of a free tier. <laughs> if all of the users of these apps slide under the free tier, mm-hmm. then implementing a cost for the API has done absolutely nothing. Well, no, it, it's done a lot because it means that the large language model companies and anybody else doing any analytics or anything, they're having to pay. So I thought, I thought of another parallel then because yeah. what is different between the large language models scraping a site yeah. And say Google's web crawler. Nothing. Site. Exactly. Nothing. And, and they're not, it, they're certainly not going to start charging um, Google to scrape the site. Yeah. Well, they, they kind of mentioned like the, it might've been the CEO or somebody from Reddit mentioned that Apollo, they said Apollo was scraping Reddit and the, the creator of Apollo fired back and said, scraping implies that I am hitting their server outside of the API. I'm not doing that. It's all within the API. So right. don't accuse me of scraping. The, the difference is between individual users, that, you know, millions of them under the free limit, mm-hmm. is you 
you could do that, number one, through the website, number two, through Reddit's official app already, mm-hmm. right? And they they seem to want to force everybody to use one of those two things. Right. So whether or not you're doing it on Apollo or on Reddit's official app or on the Reddit website, it doesn't matter. It's going to cost the same to get all of your data, you know, me as an individual getting the data. It doesn't matter if I'm where I'm getting it from. It's costing Reddit the same in terms of their server cost. Right. So the theory, that theory kind of falls apart in that if everybody left all the third-party apps and was just through Reddit's app and the website, then Reddit's paying for all that. Users aren't paying for any of it. Right. But if you look at the ads, right. Apollo was not serving Reddit's ads mm-hmm. because they didn't have to. They just basically said, what are the new posts at this a subreddit? Right. They're these. Show them. Reddit, on the other hand, in their app and on the website says, here are the posts for this subreddit. Oh, and we're going to throw in a couple sponsored posts in there. So when you viewed it through Reddit's two channels, the app and the website, they got ad revenue. When you viewed it through Apollo, they didn't get ad ad revenue. And that explains why Apollo, they wouldn't offer to Apollo like, oh, just we'll just have each user pay for their own kind of calls it's because no they still won't be getting the ad revenue it doesn't right. help them so they just you know you think though and this was suggested when i searched for it, when i specifically thought of this and searched for it it suggested in a few articles that the solution would be to have apollo agree to somehow show the ads have some version of the api or some way that you know a, a an app like apollo could say okay We'll, you know, we'll, sh- when we list, you know, the rules are when we list a bunch of things at a subreddit, we also have to list the sponsored posts that go with that subreddit. That's part of what's frustrating about all this is because it seems like there are significantly less extreme solutions to this problem. Like you said, mm-hmm. allowing sponsored posts to come through would be one way to solve the problem. I'm shocked that there's been, um, no flexibility, no negotiation, no whatever. I mean, they had to have known that the numbers they're choosing for this API fee um, would knock these third parties off the, you know, just out of out of the water. And I have to, I have to wonder if it was intentional that they're not. I just, I have a really hard time thinking of um, how the folks behind Reddit as being uh, even close to uh, somewhat benevolent about this. Well, maybe um, it's maybe their strategy is to fight a big battle here and and win it so they don't have to keep fighting battles are they you know, going to they, lose it lose by winning i mean you know well you, they, they claim you lose they half won't. your user base right? well but that's the thing so so far and we don't know what to believe they say it's not a, they're not even seeing a hit on their revenue during this two-day boycott that we're getting towards the end of here right. um that may be the case uh, it may also, they may have some good data that, you know, the people that are complaining are the people that will never quick click on a sponsored ad out of principle, <laughs> you, know, you know, so they're like, let's get rid of the 20, 20% of the kind of troublemakers and leave the 80% that are just going to be like, whatever, I just want to know what's happening in my town, or I want to find out the latest, you know, whatever it is here, or get some funny memes or what, you know, what these people that th- that's their bread and butter, maybe. And they're like, if we can just, just lay you know put a draw a line and say this is it this is our platform and nobody messes with us and if you don't like it go away please go away and leave behind everybody that's not going to give us trouble 
and maybe that's their strategy here. I don't like uh, it as a strategy. I sure don't either. I mean, yeah. it certainly makes me feel, you know, icky thinking about that, especially because of what Reddit, you know, kind of is. But, but um, yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't know. It could just be this, the CEO is just not the right person for the, for the time right now. And, uh, and somebody and pointed that. out that um, I think I was reading, um, it was Om Malik. Um, wrote an article uh, basically discussing exactly what this is. And he he pointed out that um, uh, it's very common for businesses like this, uh, the principals in the business especially, to think that they own some technology. They have a product that is theirs. Mm. But in reality, what they've built up over time is a community. And the community feels exactly the same way. They feel that this is theirs. And that's a fundamental conflict between the two whenever you want to uh, make any kind of a change for one or the other. Um, so anyway, it's interesting. What I thought was really interesting was that, um, you know, usually when you hear about these boycotts, um, you know, the you hear that there is a boycott and there's really never any indication that the boycott ever really happened. Yeah. You know, it's usually a very small percentage of people that stomp off in a huff and then nothing happens and they come back. Um this case, uh, I happened to run into somebody who was completely unaware of the Reddit story. Mm -hmm. In fact, he was um, complaining about some other software, which for the moment I'll just leave unnamed. But he was convinced that this other software is fundamentally evil and has some things going on and they're trying to hide it all. And the fact that their Reddit had been shut down yesterday was proof not of the Reddit issue, which he didn't even know about, <laughs> mm -hmm. but that this particular piece of software was actively trying to hide all the people that were complaining about it. Um, I refer to it as, you know, yet another um, conspiracy theory. But the bottom line is, of course, I told him that, hey, you know, just wait a couple of days. There's this thing going on. The Reddit will be back. The subreddit will be back in a day or two. Um, and then you can go ahead and, and continue your, your rant against the company. But the bottom line was that, um, you know, random people are actually experiencing this, even though they're not involved in the Reddit politics or plans at all. I just thought that was interesting. Normally that no, doesn't happen. Definitely. And I, so I, uh, of course, immediately noticed it uh, because not that I didn't want to support the boycott by not going to Reddit, but I've gotten into the habit so much so of several subreddits being regular places I go to sure. that even being like at the top of you know my mind oh yeah this is going on now I still find myself you know Oops. oh it's the evening it's like <laughs> last last check of stuff before I go to bed it's you know oh let me see what's happening at the uh, Denver subreddit oh yeah oh oh yeah it's and it, so many of the Reddit, uh, the subreddits I'd go to are uh, blacked out. Some right. of them do a better job than others because what they did is they set themselves to private. So right. the first message you see is very confusing. Oh, this is a private subreddit, and it's like what? And you know, then there's usually an explanation of okay, this is part of the blackout. Okay, right. although I did come across one, they didn't. They just set their thing to private, and there's no explanation. So it's like, well, that's not good because somebody else hitting just that right. will think that oh, my favorite subreddit is gone now. They decided to take it private or whatever, or yep. and maybe even apply for oh yes, let me into it. Right. <laughs> uh, and another interesting thing was in research in in looking up things. What what are people thinking? What's going on with this blackout? in preparation for today's episode. Searching Google, of course, gave me lots of hits on uh, posts on Reddit from the last few days. 
So not, you know, not that somebody's breaking the boycott to talk about it, but like from yes, from Sunday or Saturday, right, right. it'd be a post about a theory about what Reddit is up to and all that. It would be like, oh, this is a post from Saturday. I'd like to read that post so I can talk about whatever this idea is, but I can't because <laughs> it's on Reddit. <laughs> it's on Reddit. So it's, so it's like, ah, uh, yeah. And this is kind of where, like, if, if somebody else was doing, uh, you know, if there was other issues, including when, you know, Twitter, uh, is that all its things, Reddit's one of the places you go to read about what people sure. are saying. Yep. So where do you go to read about what people are saying about Reddit? If Reddit is blacked out. Yeah. The, so. uh, a, a quickie solution, by the way, to the, not being able to get to the, uh, um, article on Reddit mm -hmm. because it's on Reddit. Uh, Google Cache. Yeah, it's, that's so true. it's probably it's probably in the cache, um, but uh, not everybody. I know that um, you know you and I probably yeah. think of these kinds of things, but some you know normal people, so to speak, wouldn't. Um, anyway, so uh, oh, the, and I yes, I did notice one other place. Um, I have uh, Reddit tied into Feedly, my RSS reader, so I'm actually following a number of uh, subreddits through mm -hmm. Feedly which is uh -huh. yet another case of I'm not seeing the ads. Uh, you know, so it probably falls into that same bucket of, of things that Reddit doesn't like. Um, and indeed, there's a little warning in Feedly right now um, that says, hey, you know, your, your Reddit account isn't, it's, it's not working. There's something going on. Uh, you may want to fix it. Well, I'd love to fix it, but of course, <laughs> yeah, it's not mine to fix. Yep. So anyway, I just yeah. thought that was an interesting thing to come back to. Like I said, I, I do think that um, chat GPT and family were the tipping point, but um, it's a bigger problem. It's an interesting and bigger problem. Mm. So one of the other things that I, I was going to talk about last week, but we didn't have time. Uh, and it's, it's, it's an inconsequential thing to begin with. And that is that uh, Microsoft has announced that they are um, discontinuing Cortana. Uh, when Windows 10 came out about five, six years ago now, Cortana was going to be this big, um, uh, not an AI, but basically a voice assistant, um, not unlike uh, those things from uh, Amazon, which whose name who will go, uh, whose name I will not speak because otherwise she'll wake up in the background here, um, or um, Siri in your case, in the Apple case, or, you know, okay, Google and in other cases. Um, it got me to thinking. And so I'll have, there's a link to the actual announcement that they're discontinuing it. Um, it'll be in the show notes. But it got me to thinking, um, Siri is really popular. Mm -hmm. um, Amazon's Echo voice assistant is reasonably popular. Mm -hmm. And I, I, have, I, I have theories as to why that is. Um, Google's, I don't have a good sense for. What is it that makes a voice assistant successful? And, and ultimately, why did Cortana fail? Um, I don't have any good answers for why Cortana failed, but I'm curious as to what your reaction is on, uh, you know, what is it that makes a voice assistant successful these days? I don't know. I mean, I think part of it probably was uh, platforms that the assistant is on. So it's very different between all of those. Uh, Siri, of course, is on the iPhone, right, mm -hmm. which is everywhere, and Google Assistant's on Android. So those have a leg up in terms of like just being on, you know, one of those two things is on everybody's phone. And then Siri, of course, is on iPads, it's on Macs, it's on uh, HomePods, it's on Apple TV, kind of, uh, like a version of it is. So it's, it's you know, on a lot of different things. Uh, Google is on all these phones, some tablets. It's 
Google has struggled, as I found out, to get it on other devices in some ways. I have these two little clock radios that were super cheap and cool, and and they have Google Assistant on them. And I think it's kind of neat because they didn't cost much. But then when I decided to get some extra devices so I could control the lights in my house, mm-hmm. um, I found out either I had to buy a fairly expensive JBL speaker that I didn't want, right? I didn't, oh, I don't need that. But that was like the cheapest thing I could get. And then some more expensive speakers were there. Or there's these Google uh, Nest Minis, which I found I could, I had trouble getting. Like they, Amazon didn't seem to sell them because they uh, compete with their Echo <laughs> devices. That's right. And yeah. other places I was like, oh, I just want to hook this up. It's like I could find them. I think Walmart had them shipping in a few days and you could buy them directly from Google in a few days. Whereas like the Amazon Echo devices, Right. So Amazon's got theirs on these Echo devices, not on phones, really. Although, of course, you can add, you know, you can access uh, Alexa on the different apps that mm-hmm. Amazon has. So you do have it on your phone, probably, but it's not as easily accessible as Google and Siri. Um, but they made the Echo devices very accessible for years. They pushed them. They made them, they put them on sale for 20 bucks. They put them on sale for like, get one free when you buy this or that. Uh, they really pushed these things and just made them so accessible that for a while it was like, you know, why don't you have one? You know, they're right. so cheap and so easy to get and they play music and do all this other stuff. Um, so I think they kind of won the kind of home device battle. Uh, but Google and Siri won the phone battle. And then Cortana was left with people, people's computers, which aren't always on and aren't always in the room that you're looking to use them in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that might be that might be the issue. Um, it's also, interesting. Do you yeah. find yourself using Siri on your um, on your computer? Uh, sometimes for certain tasks. Uh, but you know, not, not as often. I mean, I use, I guess, Google assistant more than anything else, simply because I've hooked all my home devices up to it, but I use it for the same things over and over again, turning on and off lights and ceiling fans and stuff like that. Do you have Google assistant on your, on your computer or is it just on your phone? I have it on my phone if I need it, but it's, I have it set up so I could speak anywhere in my house. Well, some just the devices around the house. Yeah. Devices around the house. Now, if I'm out, if I'm out, I tend to not speak to my device because I'm not, I'm out. There's other people around. Yes. <laughs> you know, I don't like speaking to a device when there's, I'm walking down the street or when I'm in a room with other people that that's kind of not the way to go. So I just so, wonder yeah. if this concept of talking to your computer um, is the fundamental downfall. Cortana is available only really, really yeah. only on your PC. Um, I suspect that they had um, apps for, um, your phone or Android, I don't remember. Yeah, definitely they had it for the phone because I did a I did a video on how to oh, use Cortana cool. when it first came out, right. how to get the Google app or whatever they had and use Cortana as an alternative to Siri on your iPhone. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. And it actually did stuff. I mean, it, it did, did stuff in the, in the Google ecosystem, which if you were in the Google ecosystem was very handy. I mean, and there's right. people that have iPhones that have, you know, the Gmail app, the Google home app, and I'm, sure. I have the Google home app is probably one of my most used apps at this point. And there's the Google assistant app now, which is like the home of, of that. So, um, and if you do Google search and you're using other Google services, 
it, you know, Google Calendar, for instance, uh, it ties all into that. So sometimes it's more, you know, for those people, it's more useful than Siri um, because you're, you know, you're in that ecosystem, I guess. Right. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. I think, I think, uh, I think it, it's a shame now, of course, we both <laughs> talked about this, that with uh, ChatGPT being such a big success um, and Microsoft having the upper hand here, because it's you know, their investment in ChatGPT right. that yep. brings ChatGPT to Bing. And I think speaking to your computer, one of the best reasons to use it is to ask for information. Right. And that has been limited. It's like, oh yeah, you can ask Siri, Alexa, Google for information, but it's kind of like, I mean, you could you'd ask for some basic facts or what the weather is and stuff like that. Uh, it can't get too detailed or whatever. Um, and it's a lot of times it's going to re return like here are some web results. Um, <laughs> yeah, but now with ChatGPT, you could actually ask anything. So it's weird that Microsoft decided at the verge where they have all this ability to actually answer real questions, decided to get rid of their voice assistant unless they have plans. That's my theory. My theory yeah, is Bing that is Bing is going to replace Cortana, and you're going to ask for Bing. Been pushing Bing so hard yeah. um, lately. It's been really, really annoying. And if you're in the Windows ecosystem, especially Windows 10 and 11, um, they've just been ramming Bing down our throat. And it would not surprise me at all if um, Cortana uh, came back, um, you know, obviously, tech, you know, whatever shared technology or new technology, but if it came back with a completely different interface and a completely different intent, where rather than being a voice assistant, it becomes, um, you know, Bing chat or whatever um, that uh, that ends up doing exactly what you described. It's a voice interface to chat GPT or whatever Microsoft is using for chat GPT. Um, yeah. And honestly, you know, we said this, I think last week or the week before, I'm surprised that such a thing doesn't already exist. You can cobble together voice entry and voice, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and response, but it really is cobbling things together to actually have an app that just does it. Um, I'm surprised it doesn't exist. And it would not surprise me if as part of Microsoft's plan to ram Bing down everybody's throat that they don't take it that, that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that's where we're going. I mean, there's already been articles and we've talked about them that the real, the real, uh, you know, thing that chat GPT and bar and all could be used for is as an interface for getting things done. They don't do the thing, but they're the, they're the thing between you asking something right. and whatever the thing is, you know, whether it's setting a calendar event or making an appointment or, uh, you know, moving files around your computer for whatever it is. Yep. Uh, it's the thing that understands what you want to do and translates it to steps on the computer. Right. And, uh, and that would be, that would fit very well with Bing and Windows, you know, tying that all together and then having that future, the Star Trek future, where right. you talk to your computer, you know, uh, Although I, I will I say, I, I think one of the there. issues, one of the issues with talking to your computer is what you just described. It's yeah. very awkward to yeah. do it when there are other people around. Yeah, it, it is, except that I think it's. It's becoming slightly more normalized because the stuff's been around for a while now. Mm -hmm. And I think if you actually could do things, like really do things, you know, instead of having this subset of like mm -hmm. of, all, of the, you know, million things I could ask my computer to do, there's 400 of them 
that right. I could actually do by voice commands, like right. with Siri or whatever. If instead of 400, it's like you could potentially do all 1 million of them. You know, it's it, it could cause there's a, a large language model between you and the computer. A large language model could ask for clarification. Yes. A large language model can can uh, you know get better and better, and you can uh, you could train it. You know, maybe not in the way that we traditionally think of it, but you know, we've both experienced the kind of thing where you ask ChatGPT or Bard for something, and it gives you bad results. So right. then you you give it okay. Uh, let me let me you know give this extra little bit here. Let me say you know make it a numbered list. Don't include this. You know whatever, and you end up with a prompt. You know, and the whole thing with the prompt that it's bigger. Well, that could really be kind of training uh, that's involved here because it could be like okay, I could have it call my dentist to make an appointment for me using this thing that calls for appointments. But when I tried it, it didn't work. But when I phrased it this way, it did. Mm -hmm. And then maybe there's some sort of training where, okay, now it knows, you know, this is what I mean. And it'll, yeah, I can now make dentist appointments <laughs> or, you know, or maybe I get trained a little bit, you know, I, <laughs> I ask for it this way. And it says, I don't, I don't understand, you know, uh, what, what you mean by, by next Saturday, do you mean the coming Saturday or, you know, the Saturday, this date right. or Saturday, that date. And then you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I, you know, I shouldn't say things like that that are ambiguous. Yep. So then you say it, you know, this way, and now the next time you just say it that way without even thinking. And now, oh, there's another thing I can ask the large language model to do. Whereas mm -hmm. the current voice assistants would just be like, no, and then you're stuck. It, it is one of the one of the huge problems in any kind of language recognition, especially with English, mm -hmm. is that there is so much ambiguity. Um, you know, there are, there are wonderful examples of this that run uh, past Facebook, you know, on Facebook every once in a while, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. We understand each other much less having the computer <laughs> understand us. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Bard. It's funny. I have been using Bard of late, um, in almost instead of chat GPT and it's because Bard is up to date. Uh, Bard mm -hmm. will, uh, Bard actually is able to, uh, you know, view the current web. Uh, so I have, for example, asked it to summarize uh, an, an article that is at a URL. In ChatGPT, you have to copy paste the text in and ask it to summarize it. But in Bard, you just say, hey, this thing over here, go summarize that for me, would you? And it does. It does a wonderful job um, where, where it's really funny. Uh, and I'm honestly surprised that it's this broken since it's a, a Google property, is if you ask Bard to summarize and give it the URL to a YouTube video, it dutifully summarizes the wrong video. Um, hmm. It's some, some other completely random video that I, I really don't, I, I, I haven't been able to determine what the, uh, uh, you know, if there's any consistency. Uh, so I'm back to copy pasting the transcript, but um, it is interesting. And I think that uh, Bard, is, Bard has actually done some really nice things for me. And the neat thing, of course, not only is it current, but for everybody, it's free. Yeah. So, hmm. Fun times. Yeah. So making yeah. stuff up. We So here, <laughs> how's, how's this for a segue, right? We're used to um, chat DPT, just making stuff up out of thin air. Yes. But wait. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about making stuff out of thin air. So this is a story that several people sent to me 
and I, you were aware of it before I mentioned it to you. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it was all, it was making a lot of news about two weeks ago. Um, but we've been so busy with other things. We haven't gotten to it, but I think right. we need to talk about it. Uh, I'm really skeptical about this because this has like, you know, be skeptical written all over it. But the idea of <laughs> making, of getting energy out of the air, there was a, uh, the, the university of Massachusetts, um, published a paper or news story about some research they're doing uh, about a device that gets that uses the humidity in air to get make electricity right so the idea being that you know there's energy in air and particularly in the water molecules i guess in the air and if there's only a way to extract it and this is true really for like anything there's energy in everything right mm -hmm. <laughs> you know there's energy in the in the ocean water there's energy in the movement of the atmosphere there's energy in growing plants it, there's energy everywhere right so we're you know we've only been successful at like getting energy out of things like coal and oil and uranium and all that um so the idea is well couldn't one day we get energy out of something that isn't isn't hard to get and isn't harmful to the environment in some way and all that. And I say the common thread with what you just mentioned, we can get energy out of things we can set on fire or blow up. Blow up or, or <laughs> but, you know, we can get energy out of gravity, which is basically what hydroelectric energy is. You know, it's water flowing downhill. Um, um, but, okay, sure, sure. But the, there is always a, you know, damming up uh, rivers that yes. damages ecosystems and the dams build up silt behind them which need so they need to be maintained you know there's a lot of things there wind power uh also has uh, you know a smaller environmental impact the um and wind power and solar power both have the impact of you have to manufacture these devices that have kind of a negative impact and all that so there's always a downside right right so the idea being that you know but we are getting better, right? Some of the, the more recent ways that we have, like wind and solar, to get electricity uh, are are definitely better than, you know, the older ways like coal with steam power and stuff like that. Um, but anyway, this new device or this new idea here of having the, you know, getting energy out of the air is interesting. And I when I first read it, I thought, oh, I get it. This is one of those things where they do get energy, but it's a tiny, tiny piece of energy, right? And it's not really going to replace, you know, us having, you know, coal and nuclear power plants. But then, uh, well, lo and behold, they say a refrigerator-sized version of the device could power a household. Oh, okay. That's actually not too bad. Um I, I wonder though, if uh, a lot of unanswered questions, but I always think about, we have so many small little devices that need a tiny amount of energy. And we have to either plug them in anyway, because they just can't do without, right. or we have to give them a battery. So we have to, that battery's gotta be manufactured, charged up, put in, and then occasionally changed. Like an AirTag, for instance, needs a tiny bit of energy, one tiny little battery, you put it in, it's good for a year, but you still gotta change it and all of that. Right. Um, if there was a way to have instead a small thing like this that would allow it to um, just get energy out of the air because it only needs a tiny amount, that's kind of a neat thing. And that could be a niche market for this. Mm -hmm. But if they're saying that you could have a refrigerator sized version of that, 
then then you know they're they're certainly looking for act, actually haven't replaced electricity. There's always the idea that it might be some sometimes you know in a, in a city situation or even you know in a town, it still might be more economical to produce energy uh, and have it mass distributed you know through power lines. Right. But when you put a, like a cabin five miles out, right? Or sure. a rain, think of a ranger station in a national park, right? Anything off grid. Yeah. They need they need like electricity, right? And the solar panel's not going to cut it. They need the real thing. It's got to be bathrooms. There's got to be a station there. They have to, you know, it's got to be manned. It's a, it's a real deal. They often, when you drive around the country, if you're heading somewhere and there's a ranger station or a house or whatever, you notice next to the road, there are telephone poles and all the telephone poles are power lines. Right. All the way out. Yep. This little thing that's out there. And it, in some situations, having the a device that could just grab energy from the air and, and be, you know, provide more than a solar panel panel or, you know, single wind turbine good mm -hmm. um, could replace that. And that might make sense because there you're dealing with like, oh, you have five or 50 miles of cabling and, you know, maintained, uh, you know, across that distance. Right. And, and that sometimes is an issue, you know, out. So I don't know. It is interesting technology. I tend to be skeptical and think there's a downside. It's, it's still going to end up being more expensive to manufacture the device than actually have energy for a hundred years from a coal plant or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it just seems too good to be true to say, we can just get energy out of the air. They never mentioned, you know, oh, it's humidity. So how about Colorado? The last month, notwithstanding, it's usually pretty dry here. Well, to be fair, you know, I was thinking about this. One of the um, counter arguments to solar mm -hmm. is what if you live in a cloudy region? What if yeah. you live in a dark region? What if, you know, any of that kind of stuff? But like I'm, I'm looking outside right now and, you know, we have clouds. It's raining uh, lightly. Uh, so, you know, solar, eh, not so much. But what do I have a lot of right now? I have a lot of moisture. A lot of moisture yeah. in the air. So I'm wondering if um, in some cases, this might be a fine standalone solution, but it also might be a fine combo where, you know, you've got, you still end up with batteries to set, to save what it is you, you are collecting in terms of energy. But uh, some of it comes from solar when the, when the weather's good. And some of it comes from moisture when the weather's not so good. Um, it just seems like an interesting thing. I agree with you that um, the very concept um, it, it's, <laughs> I almost want to say it's being marketed, unfortunately, because to say things are coming out of thin air, that's like a, a you know, a prototypical, you know, can't believe it kind of thing. You can't pull money out of thin air kind of mm. stuff. But um, this is a case where they are um, indeed doing something with um, not the air itself, of course, but the moisture in the air. Uh, it, it kind of, it, it could work like you, I'm skeptical. One of the things, so I, I ran across this actually for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and I actually ran it in Not All News is Bad a little while ago, uh, because I do think it's interesting and promising, but uh, there have been so many things over the years, um, not only in Not All News is Bad, but it actually predates this. If you remember magazines like Popular Science and Popular Mechanics, mm -hmm. um, they were always saying, oh, here's this really neat new thing that's coming and they never come it never shows mm -hmm. up right there's usually some technological something or other that gets in the way or or something else that gets in the way wow. um the my my excitement about technologies like this 
is that it, um, um, you know, say there's a hundred of them and one of them makes it through, one of them actually does something, then okay, great, we've had, we've got progress. Um, it would be nice for it to be this one. I'd love to, I would absolutely put, um, you know, a couple of these refrigerator things uh, outside my house if it meant that um, I was no longer sucking up electricity from the grid, but, um, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. It, yeah. We'll, we'll see. And sometimes these things do come through, right? Right. It's easy to go and pick up those old popular science and popular mechanics magazines <laughs> and laugh at the 1957 article about this or that. Where's my flying um, car, damn it. Yeah. But then, you know, then if you look hard enough, you probably find like articles in the sixties about personal computers or, yes. you know, articles in the eighties about the internet and stuff. If you look and we just, they're not funny. They're not, you know, you look at them and you skip right over them. Cause it's like, Okay, oh, yeah. this isn't something we to take, laugh at because they're not we take talking this about for granted cars. today. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes and to be they fair, are true. even with flying cars, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't have them, but you know, yeah. there are half a dozen different things going on right now um, that actually could turn into exactly that. They won't look like the Jetsons, right? It's not like they're right. running off of anti grav or whatever it is those have. Uh, most of them look like glorified um, drones, right? With multiple propellers and that kind of stuff. But it's actually getting closer. So maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe eventually this kind of stuff will. I mean, the drone. I mean, just ways. as an example, look at the look at drones that we have now. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just the, if you've had friends fly drones around and you see them, or you just happen to be somewhere where somebody's flying one or whatever. I mean, it is like think think you know, a couple twenty years ago. Right. How how futuristic a drone like that would have looked. Right. Um, and it really isn't. If you think about it, uh, the drones, the the electric motors in them, the batteries, eh, you know, some of we do have lighter batteries now. Yes. Uh, but it's really the the microchips that manage right. how they fly and keep them stable. Yep. That makes them possible today. The microchips so, and the software. Yeah. So it's it wasn't some sort of big like technological breakthrough. Right. That you would, th it's the, the one you would think it was basically, it's like, oh yeah, theoretically it's possible to have, a, you know, four little propellers move a thing around in the wind and be stable, but we didn't have ha computer hardware or software to do the calculations. And now, and now we do in a relatively yep. small package. So yeah, sometimes, so maybe this, you know, energy from the air, I, I, of course, just getting energy in some way or, you know, electricity is such a much bigger thing than drones sure. <laughs> drones have you know a, uses a b c and d you know electricity is like a base thing yes, and if yes. The, even even being able to generate electricity at like 95 percent of the cost today make will make you rich right yes. like if you came out with like here's a slightly better more efficient way to generate electricity hey patent it you're rich Yep. <laughs> Imagine if it was like not 95% or 98% as efficient, but you know, it was like, you know, half of the cost or a quarter of the cost. Yeah. Then it changes things fundamentally. Although you could argue also that, well, we've already done that. I mean, how what's the cost now for electricity uh based, you know, held steady through inflation, you know, based on hundred years ago? It's, it, I, I don't know. I don't know yeah, the answer to that. I, I do believe that thing, we are going to see more and more efficiencies. Um, but uh, but you're right. At some point, it becomes 
Um, I want to say, you know, as cheap as water, but then I live in Seattle, so we have lots of water and it's cheap, and I know it's not cheap everywhere. <laughs> yeah. But the bottom line is at some point it becomes just sort of a given that it's so easy and plentiful that um, you can build so many different things on it. It's funny, exactly. as you were talking about drones, um, it dawned on me that drones have started to fall into the category of, if not necessarily taken for granted, the results are. For example, um, a mutual friend of ours is selling his house and I was looking at some of the photos of the house mm -hmm. and I noticed some really neat aerial shots. Mm -hmm. And I asked, were those drone shots? Well, yeah, that's exactly what they did. They just flew, a, you know, took a drone, took it up a couple hundred feet straight up and shot down to get a shot of the, of the property. Um, yeah. In the past, I remember there were services that would schedule either an airplane or a helicopter or something that would come out and take photographs of your property, uh, which I thought was a, you know, at the time expensive and, but at that time also very unique. Now we just take it for granted. The other place I was thinking about it was um, it's now very common for me to look at um, for whatever reason, I like to look at shots in movies. I like to see mm -hmm. how they're constructed. Um, you know, for example, you know, the, the no cut, the really long no cut shots just fascinate mm -hmm. the hell out of me. Um, but I've now started to see shots that uh, like they'll transition from um, a close in shot of an individual. And then all of a sudden it will pan out to some really high aerial panorama of where that person happened to be mm. and in the past that would have been a helicopter it would have been a very noisy helicopter right. um, now you know that there was just somebody there with a drone probably an expensive drone but a drone carrying a camera doing the wide angle shot um it's amazing and it just now we're taking these kinds of things for granted so that we don't necessarily even notice that that's what's going on yep indeed reality tv uses them a lot tons of shots and, I, you know, there's just a drone guy not my, you know, I, I spend so little time with reality TV. That, okay. and not the, not the people yelling at each other kind, <laughs> but like the, you know, built people, the real estate kind, you know, deal, dealing with like oh, right. people building stuff, oh, yes. survival stuff, um, yep. you know, out in the, out in the wilderness stuff, uh, you know, the, the type where it's actually, something's actually going on that would go on regardless of whether somebody was filming it, but somebody decided to make a TV show out of it, you know, <laughs> watches this couple does whatever, you know, I, you, and, you know, you're right. There's a couple of shows we end up watching. They're basically veterinarians in various places. Yes. And good example. Um, they, they obviously have intro shots, both of their clinics and of the places they're going to and so mm -hmm. forth. Yep. Yep. Clearly that's a drone. Yep. Cool. Anyway, cool stuff. I'm hoping that that stuff all pans out at some point and, uh, yeah. you, know, you know, back to the electricity stuff that it all pans out. Yeah. So what's cool this week? Well, I don't know what's cool, but some, you know, maybe mildly, mildly interesting. <laughs> I saw the movie, uh, movie Renfield and was it once again reminded to like ignore people talking you know reviews and people talking about things yeah, and just yeah. you know judge for yourself so renfield is a you know it's like a, a a funny vampire movie and uh it really to me it had a feel of like one of the 1980s kind of fun little gory horror films that aren't too serious they don't take themselves very seriously about themselves i love those kinds of movies and that's what renfield is but, you know, those kinds of movies have a hard time today because people try to take them, people try to take them seriously, say they don't like them, you know, um, and yeah, and this one I think suffered from the fact that uh, Nicolas Cage is in it, 
<laughs> and with no, but uh, when I say suffered from the fact, <laughs> I guess I have to define that. I just meant because he's a big name. Uh, people thought, oh, okay, what's you know what's going on in in this movie? And it's like, yeah, it's like it's just a fun, silly movie. Uh, don't take it too seriously because there's a big name that's one of the well, stars. There's a big it. name, and he's also a little on the controversial side. Not everybody, it, yeah, not everybody likes what he does. Not a, yeah, but there's this he, concept of a Nick Cage movie, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. And and this is not he, obviously this is not a serious movie. So this right. is not the kind of thing where it's yeah. Uh, anyway, I I enjoy silly you know movies like this and this reminds me of something is that have you ever did you ever see um there's a series called what we do in the shadows oh, of yes i'm a huge fan of what we do in the shadows okay and okay. yes uh, if you do a an elevator pitch for what we do in the shadows and for renfield it's the same elevator pitch. okay okay that that clarifies it's yeah familiar <laughs> to a to a vampire and and the main character is the familiar uh exactly the same except this goes in a different this is a movie and it goes in a different direction it's a different kind of thing with okay. a you know with a similar similar premise to it yep, like uh it. if you enjoy what we do in the shadows you probably will enjoy renfield um it's just not the it's not this it's not the same but yeah it, it's lighthearted. it's the same only different yes yeah yeah exactly <laughs> So, and there's a lot of other people in it that, uh, you know, I like Aquafina, for instance, and she's in it. Oh, yeah. And she's great. And she's basically, you know, one of the stars of it, but she didn't get much attention in the previews and all that. But, you know, she's she's wonderful in this film. And uh, there's a bunch of other people that um, I recognize character actors and stuff that uh, make it just a, just a fun movie. Fun, good, uh, you know, movie night kind of thing. Funny, I was listening to, um, as I was traveling yesterday, Gosh, I did a lot of traveling yesterday. Um, I was listening to a tech podcast of all places, of all things, not ours, that um, was <laughs> talking not. about uh, movies. They were just discussing random movies, and, and they were talking about Ocean's 8, which mm. included Aquafina. And yes, she's yeah. she's actually really good. I like her a lot. Yeah, I like her TV show, too. It's funny. So um, the, what I was going to bring up is a book I'm in the process of reading. It's called What's Our Problem? A Self-Help Book for Societies. It's by Tim Urban, who you may recognize as the guy behind the website and interesting stuff at waitbutwhy.com. Yeah. Um, he has been writing this book for some time. It's actually a fairly large book. Um, and it's not... You know, normally with, with Ain't It Cool, we talk about things that are fun, things that are light, things that uh, we really, uh, quote unquote, enjoy or maybe even use for escape. This isn't that. Um, this, And we also tend to avoid politics, uh, which honestly, this book is not really about politics, but it is starting to talk about why things are as divisive as they seem to be these days. And not just the psychology behind some of it, but in some ways, even the evolutionary inevitability of some of it, uh, which I find just really, really interesting. And um, uh, like I said, I'm learning a lot. Um, so it's been an interesting, an interesting read. Uh, like I said, I'm only partway through it, uh, but it is something that um, I'm enjoying. I think it's cool, which is why I listed it here. Cool. So right. uh, in terms of self-promotion, this is also not one of those things. It's a very positive article. Um, I want to point people this week at the problem with OneDrive backup. 
It's askleo.com slash 156972. And basically, it's the first Ask Leo article in which I use the term boneheaded. And it's the first <laughs> article in which I use that term to uh, comment directly on design decisions made by Microsoft. Um, there are some, there is, I don't even know how to describe it simply, but just let's just say that they've made a really boneheaded decision about how they implement a specific backup feature in OneDrive that is um, very easy to fall into and almost impossible to recover from. It is not necessarily a simple thing. And if you can avoid turning on OneDrive backup um, when the when it keeps offering it to you over and over and over again, please do that. But you may find that you have it turned on. And this article is all about describing exactly what happened, why things are the way they are, and to the extent you can, what you need to do about it when you find yourself in that situation. So like I said, the problem with OneDrive backup, 156972. I'll uh, do a double promo and remind people that I've got a free app in the Mac App Store called Clip Tools that allows you to, uh, what's a clipboard manager with a bunch of weird functions attached to it that I like. Um, and one of those weird functions, actually the main one, uh, is a calculator. And you could do things like, for instance, select text that is, you know, one plus two and uh, have it just replace that with a three or, you know, copy the answer or even put one plus two equals three in place of that. Uh, but you can go much more complex with functions and parentheses and all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. um, and I did a, uh, I periodically do videos on my own stuff uh, just to remind people I've got it. So I did a video on using the calculator functions in clip tools. So. Cool. Yep. Yeah. I, it, it, I, I mean, <laughs> I was just thinking as you were saying that, gee, I wish he would do a version for Windows. Of course, that's never going <laughs> to happen. Um, but then it dawned on me, I should look into, I've got a, a, um, a utility that I use. Um, it's, it's my replacement for keyboard maestro, the keyboard yeah. macro thing. Um, yeah. but it's actually more of a full, almost a full on programming language called auto hotkey. And, um, yes. might very well be able to do some of the things you've just described with, yeah, enough, you, with you might be able to, to script it, to do it. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so that looks like it for another week. Mm -hmm. The show notes for this week are out at tehpodcast.com slash teh196. If you've got a comment or a question, be sure to leave it on the show notes page. Thanks as always for listening, and we will see you here again real soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.